I think the people below me uh, cooked eggs, and then I like fanned all the air that was wafting up into my room. So my entire room smells like eggs right now. Oh no! It's not a bad thing. Like I can like I'm fine with the smell. It's just like distractingly eggy. Oh okay, right. So it's, like, it's a texture thing for you with eggs. Yeah, like, yeah. It, it smells good, but it's just like everywhere, it's, and it's like thick in the humid air. It's just like, I mean, an egg soup. You're 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 coming to us live from an egg drop soup. What's that? That's our theme song. You're right. Anyway, welcome to the Hamsteak Podcast, where we read Homestuck and tell you about it. My name's Alex, and I haven't read Homestuck before. My name's Lydia, and I super have. And this week, we're going to tell you about pages 4,000, I know how to say numbers, 4,135, all the way to 4,220. A bunch of stuff is so going to happen. So many things. So many irons in the fire. Let's go. So we left off with um, the butler, Lucis, falling into the pit. Aqueous like, got mad at some other robot for imagining that it was looking at him smooching on the Aradia bot, and he punched it out of a window, and it broke Vriska's doomsday device, which crushed, crushed her spider mom, and caused an avalanche that made Arthur, Arthur fall out the window. So now we're going to talk about completely unrelated stuff. Yeah, so it, there's a flashback now. Yeah. Um, and uh, Terezi is in the medium, I think. Correct. She has recently entered. Yes. Or so it's not a flashback at this point. It's uh, where we are. Like the the notion of the narrative present at this point right. has kind of broken down. So right, but I mean the flashback starts in a couple pages. Um, oh yeah. Because we're talking about the truce between Terezi and Vriska. Yeah. And we're about to find out uh, how that truce started. But right now Vriska is saying the truce is off. Right. Um. They had created a truce after, like, the sequence of events around the FLARP game where Tavros was paralyzed, and we haven't seen how all those events play out yet. That's a Um, very, uh, passively phrased way of saying, because... Oh yeah, where Vriska tried to murder Tavros, is what I'm really saying. Um, (laughs) but, yeah, uh, because that's really the pertinent outcome. But then, um... We're about to see... So, they, they make mention here of how the truce wasn't about um, us not playing games with each other. You know, like, literally playing video games with each other or whatever. And it wasn't about um, us not using... It was about us not using our powers to, like, kill innocent people and ending, like, this cycle of revenge, which we haven't seen yet. Right. Um, meanwhile, Riska is is basically... At this point, kind of trying to get Terezi back on her side, due to some some kind of she seems to be like voicing regret, but it's like the shallowest. It's it's like the like I regret hurting hurting you and like doing bad things because now people are being mean to me because I've done bad things. Yeah, like I'm sorry if you were offended. Exactly, like like no, like she's genuinely she's like very very remorseful, but like not. But she doesn't- a- understand what she should be remorseful for. Exactly. Um, so, uh, Terezi isn't taking any of what Vriska's saying. 
Uh, she says, your blueberry bubblegum words still smell pretty good, but your deceit stinks. <laughs> <clears throat> right. Uh, She's that. not having it. And, and Vriska, like, throws a little bit of a tantrum. She throws a lot of tantrums this week, you guys. <laughs> and, uh, and just kind of gives up on the conversation, I think. Yeah, she says, like, well, Vriska says, like, oh, well, yeah, you lost two eyes, but I lost seven eyes. So, you know, like, you're welcome. Yeah. Which isn't quite, you know. Which Terezi is like, thank you, like, genuinely thank you, um, but I don't expect you to understand, and of course Friska doesn't understand, and they're, oh, this character. <laughs> um, yes, these characters, all of them. Yeah. Well, just like, Friska especially, it's just like, hard to watch. Yeah, her and, uh, Equius. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, I guess, you know, that's consistent so far at least mm-hmm. um so we flash back now to a sighted Cherezi who's talking to Aradia who is alive uh, and this is just after the accident uh, and Aradia is telling Cherezi that Tavros can't walk Cherezi mm-hmm. um, suggests getting help from Equius to give uh, Tavros some robot legs but Aradia doesn't want anything to do with the blue bloods at this point which yeah. I don't blame her for. Yeah, they, like, vocally hate them and, and now have, like, tried to murder their friend. So uh, she's like, we're not we're not going back there. Um, we also find out, so Tavros tried to reach out to his teammate Aradia, and then he tried to reach out to Terezi when, when Vriska was hassling him, like, just before she pushed him off the cliff. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, had him throw himself. But um, neither of them responded, and this is the conversation where we find out why. They were both distracted by the same thing, Pro- they said it was probably Vriska's friend, um... Mysterious Mr. White text. Yeah, and, um, they're like, I don't know if they're even friends, because, like, she should hear how he talks about her behind her back, and, um, I don't think she knows how bad he's playing her. But also, I don't think he knows how bad she's playing her. She's playing so- him. Him, right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the first inkling that um, Vriska is uh, doing something that White Text Guy doesn't know about behind his back. Right. Um, so we're, we're going to learn more. That, that's kind of like the theme of this week is, is her whole relationship with White Text Guy. Mm-hmm. And um, then we cut over to Aradia who... So Terezi is urging her, don't... Don't go for vengeance. Like, you don't. We don't need more violence right now. Please don't. Like, and it's just going to, like, work. And she's just going to use it against you anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, Aradia hears the voices of the dead, if you recall. And they are urging her to exact some revenge. Yeah, and we get kind of a glimpse of Aradia's hive. Oh, um, yeah. We don't get an introduction, but we can kind of see... Uh, in the corners of the panel, what mi- what might have been in the introduction if um, she had gotten it, which is that she likes uh, troll Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. and she has some Indiana Jones whips, and she also has these little music boxes, and her uh, Lucis is a like a dog sized dragon thing with ram horns, and it's all curled up asleep behind her. Yeah, it's very cute. Um, but we do not get much time to uh, introduce her. Right, because she uh, pretty much just goes into 
vengeance mode. Um, and not, she, like, she goes for the psychological angle, so, um, there's a bunch of dead trolls, uh, in... Wrapped in spider webs. Right, under, under Riska's house, right? That's, that's Spider-Mom's victims. Mm-hmm. And, um, so she summons all of those spirits and has them, like, surround Riska in her room, and Riska's, like, freaking out, understandably. They're very scary-looking ghosts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as she's bugging out, white text guy contacts her, like, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. So he's kind of, like, playing her into taking vengeance on Aradia for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, God, this conversation is really uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, and all of, all of these abusive dynamics are... But it's just, like, so real, but about, like, murdering children. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, you know, this this fantasy character manipulating some alien children into murdering each other, but it, like... It feels, like, very familiar and scary. I, yeah, like, I... Uh people, real people talk to each other in this way. And it's, what he does is basically treat, he's he's trying to goad her into murdering Aradia Mm -hmm. for this, for the haunting. And Riska doesn't, Riska, like, openly says, like, I don't, I'm just kind of freaked out. Like, I don't want that. And he's like, oh, you know, like, it's inevitable. Like, you know, she deserves it, and that's what you do. And she's Mm -hmm. like, I didn't even really want to kill Tavros, like, you just talked me into that one, too, and, and he's like, well, but you hated him so much. Yeah, he's like, I'm not talking you into anything. You're just, you know, doing what you're already gonna do, which is fucked up. Which is really fucked up, and there's, there's layers to this, because, um, like, as we'll learn, like, I don't know, we're gonna learn some stuff about White Text Guy that, that yeah, makes this really so he, messed up. So he basically says, uh, that he's doing this for a reason. Uh, he's orchestrating events to allow his employer into the universe, uh, which we take to be the demon that we've heard about. Right, the demon who is effectively already here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and Riska, Riska falls for it, like, kind of reluctantly, and it's just, it's, like, hard to watch. Yeah, she says, like, well, I'm not gonna, you know, spare Aradia just despite this guy that I don't even really know. Yeah. Which is, like, so... the Like, he, he's done his job well there. He's done his job well, and he's chosen... He's chosen his sort of, like, manipulee or whatever, like, wisely, because she's so... prideful. hmm You know? That, that, you know, it's so easy to, to just just push that button for her and and but it's like sad to watch that happen in a weird in a weird way like i don't i don't know you're like free will is a thing but also like she's getting like she's getting manipulated into doing these horrible murders but then also like extracting a bunch of glee for it and doesn't really seem to feel terribly remorseful and like it's a very like um it almost feels like a very um, underdeveloped sense of death. Like, she doesn't quite understand 
what it is she's doing to other people. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that kind of makes sense in this world because there are ghosts and uh, Aradia does continue to exist after being killed. Right. So it's not quite as, like, permanent, I guess. Right, but that's not necessarily the case for everyone, like... Oh, no, yeah, it's not an excuse, it's just, like, that's how she sees it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it, it it kind of... It's, like, an underdeveloped sense of death and, like, an underdeveloped sense of empathy, mm-hmm. also. Which, I don't know, like, age on these characters is always kind of slippery, but I do think, if anything, like, Vriska's a very believable, like, very smart, very independent like, young teenager in this yeah. position, you know? Who, yeah. Who, like, if a 13-year-old had mind powers and could kill people and wasn't convinced that that was a bad thing, then, you know, there's horror stories about that, I'm sure. Yeah, like, there's a, there's a bunch of them. So, I don't know, like, she's, she's, she's definitely a villain of this story, I would call her, you know what I mean? But like, mm-hmm. like a great, like an awesome villain. Like this is, she's, she's interesting right? to watch, I guess. Yeah, I think so for sure. So, yeah. I don't know. People talk a lot about like, do you like Friska? Like, is she, you know, or is she, yeah, do you that's think she's a wrong, good person or whatever? That's, that's the wrong question. Yeah. She's not a person. She's a character. She's like a vehicle for storytelling and she's, I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay, so so Vriska's deciding how she's going to exact her revenge, and we find out that she can't mind control Aradia herself, right? Right. Um, and she can't mind control a bunch of the trolls, uh, but she goes through, the, like, the list on Trolley, and, like, no, not that guy, not that guy, not her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then she's like, oh, this guy, I can control him half the time, and that's all the time I need. Uh, and that, of course, is Solix, mm-hmm. um, meaning that he is susceptible and, like, mind his mind is weak half the time, which is uh, really bad writing with, with the uh, bipolar angle. Well, it's, I don't know, the way that I, the way that I choose to see, it is the bad writing with the bad polar angle, if you're going to go around calling it bipolar, like, it's, he's got, he's got this weird, I don't know, it is a weird approach to... It's a weird magic psychic disease, or not yeah. disease, but, like, condition. It's not supposed to be, it's not bipolar. Yeah, exactly. Um, but so, she knows that she can mind control him half the time, and, um, then there's this, like, spooky parallel where, um, so earlier, um, Aradia was trying to convince Solix that she was outside, that, and that she wanted to come out and see her, and she used that to, like, mind control him and put him under, like, like, render him unconscious for a while, and, um... To eat the mind honey. Yeah, he ended up eating the mind honey. I think mm-hmm. she was just trying to get him out of the way because she needed him not to enter the game yet. I, I don't remember if him... Um, landing face first in the mine, honey, wasn't intentional. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm okay. not sure because yeah, there's I'm a not... lot of consequences to that that we haven't seen yet. All okay. we saw was that he blew up his hive. There's a bunch of more stuff that happens. But, um, so this is Briska telling Solix to look outside because her boyfriend's there and she's like, he, he would have told me if he was coming all the way out here, but she goes and she looks anyway. Yeah, and he's he's there, all right. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of suspended in midair with this, uh, like, dark purple glow. Uh, and as we zoom in, we see he's uh, got a chunk of uh, 
mind honey comb in his hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, her face, as she sees him, is heartbreaking. Uh, and then he takes off his glasses and her face kind of half falls as it's like lit by flashing red and blue. Uh, and like, because it took so, like, I knew what was going to happen as soon as she went to look out the window. Uh, but it, since it took so long to write like notes for this sequence, mm-hmm. it like got really drawn out for me. Um, but thankfully we don't actually see the, uh, death. No, but, but yeah, it's a really effective series of silent panels and you have to click next to like see each next page. And I like, I don't Mm -hmm. know, I always, I always think those are like such an interesting way of doing storytelling because it's not even just like a silent comic. It's like a silent picture book. Yeah. It's like, it's, it gives you a lot more control over like timing, um, almost as much as you would get in like a film medium. Um, right. Especially, especially when there's gifts and like you can control how long someone's gonna stay on one panel, right? Because they're waiting for the next part of the gift to load, right? Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's uh, it's sad. Yeah, but we don't we don't actually watch it happen mm-hmm. this time. Instead, we zoom out to see Alternia and its moons, and we zoom in on the green moon. Where. It's, um, it's, it's the white text guy. We, it's, the narration says, um, or, like, the action text is, be the white text guy, and the narration on the next page informs us, you cannot be the white text guy. No one can be the white text guy except for the white text guy. Mm-hmm. The white text guy is Doc Scratch. Oh, I thought, I wasn't sure. It looked like, because it's spelled, like, D-C Scratch. With it, oh, was the GIF not loading? Oh, that must be it. Or oh. no, not loading. It's in his name. It's a white O. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, so it's 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 his name is written in green text out of the black narration, but then the 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 O in the middle of Doc is is colored white because fuck you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, reader. Um, that, yeah, that confused me. Yeah, got me again, hussy. <laughs> um, yeah. So he. Uh, oh boy. So first of all, he looks like he's like a. So his design reminds I can't say exactly why, but his design makes me think deviant art. Like he's a very, like two thousand seven, uh, someone's really cool, like, uh, trickster god persona. Yeah. Because, so what he is, he's like, he's wearing like a white tuxedo Mm -hmm. and his like shirt and tie underneath are green. And then his head is just this big white ball. And he's like, he has his hands tucked behind his back and he has this like leaning backwards pose. Mm -hmm. And it's really goofy. He's, he's, yeah, he's goofy looking, but also really ominous looking because like we've already seen the way that he talks to people. And yeah. then, like, his head, like, we should clarify that his head is literally completely featureless. Like, it's just a, it's a cue ball sitting on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. And he's in this, um, very, like, classic-looking, you know, fusty study. Manner. Yeah, yeah, in a manner. Um, and... He's got, he's got some, uh, some models of, uh, Skaya in different states. Uh, he's got a typewriter with which he, I guess, communicates with people on the internet 
Um, and he's got a just a re- like a regular revolver in a holster mm-hmm. hanging on the chair. Um, and so we learn about him. Yeah. He, you want to go ahead? Yeah. Um, so he is. I think. I think I have been a bad like half foreshadowing person because um, I I waffled back and forth about like who is what is what is Beckerel and uh, and whatever and. Um, I like that you picked up on the fact that he's a counterpart to Becquerel because, um, like, it's never explicitly said, but so, so who is Doc Scratch, or what is Doc Scratch? And he is Alternia's first guardian, which is a being that its, its job is, like, if the planet is destined for intelligent life, its job is to... Um, make sure that it fulfills that purpose, like, and we're not told what the purpose of, like, an intelli- a, a, a planet with intelligent life is. But, mm-hmm. um, they exist to fulfill that purpose, they all share this, like, genetic code that makes them, like, almost omnipotent, and apparently, like, some of them, like Doc Scratch, if they're very smart, it makes them, like, almost omniscient, too. Um... And he is, he's got this, like, white and, like, lime green color scheme and, like, crackles with, you know, lightning, like, like, green and white lightning in the same way that Beckerel does. Right. You're meant to realize, like, oh, okay, Beckerel is Earth's first guardian. Yeah, exactly. Because we did see, I think, like, way back when we saw um, the Frog Temple on Earth, mm-hmm. we saw Beckerel, like, millions of years in the past. Right. So that's the other thing, is that they all have, um like, a a paradoxical origin that's sort of, like, circuitous. Right. Like every fucking character in this story. (laughs) Um, Among other things, he's, in this study, he's got a cube chessboard, and it sort of symbolizes what's going on in his sort of machinations... Machinations? Yeah. Machinations with Vriska. Right, I just wanted to point out one other thing, which is that... um, when it says you can't control him, it says, just like all the other guardians, even the ones who raise kids in houses, like, so you can't control the parents directly. I think that's, them. um, I think that's addressing the reader, and it's meant to, it's more like a, a sort of a, a half joke about, like, parents move in mysterious ways. Yeah, but it also, like, you can't control the Lucy or the, um, guardians directly. Oh, that's true. Yeah, they are never like you, the narrator. Like you're never going to be their their never point of view. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. They that's a good way of maintaining their sense of mystery. And they're also like all pure white, featureless, generally as well. Right. So they're like lesser forms of this first guardian. Narratively speaking, yeah, it's right, not. Yeah. It's not, not quite like literal, but right, right, yeah. And then he's, uh, he's, he's, um, ruminating on what's been going on with him and Vriska, right? Yeah, because Vriska's been making some moves that he couldn't predict and getting close to beating him at their little games, which uh, concerns him because he is almost omniscient. Right. And, um, he completely denies this when she tries to call him out on it, but, uh, he really is worried about this. He's not sure why she's able to do it. And, um... As we find out from Terezi, it's because Vriska has an advantage on him. Um, mm-hmm. Terezi contacts Doc Scratch herself, which he is 
confused about for like one instant. He's like, how did you do this? Never mind. I figured out it out immediately. Right. Basically he like had Solix help her backtrace Scratch's messages. And so now she's typewriting to him. It's popping out of his typewriter. Yeah. In like her color. Right. Um, but yeah, he, uh, they talk to each other, uh, and he says, uh, you will call me Mr. Vanilla Milkshake. Uh, it is perfectly in keeping with the habit which you'll develop in the future. Yeah, um, she she's still got sight at this point, so she's like, what the hell? That's weird. No, I'm not gonna do that. I see, yeah, that, I didn't quite catch that. Colors and flavors. Yeah, she, I mean, she's gonna get, that. they're gonna do more with that later on when we see the kids and trolls interacting more. Nice. Um, but yeah, so... He he lets her know that, um, I know you think, he, he's like, okay, I know you think Aradia's dead. She's not dead. Later you're going to think she's alive. She's not really alive either. It's kind of, kind of both and kind of neither. And, mm-hmm. um, so here's the thing, right? Terezi was just telling Aradia, don't, don't try and get revenge on Vriska. It's just going to blow up on your face. And Aradia did anyway. And then, so Vriska got revenge on Aradia. And now Terezi is reaching out to Scratch trying to ask him for help getting revenge on Vriska. And he's like, why the hell would I do that? And she's like, well, I know what she has on you. Hang on a second. And then she goes and messages Vriska. Was that you saying hang on a second? No, no, no. No, that's, that's Terezi saying, she says, hang on a second. Okay. Um, To, to scratch. She's about to tell him what she has on him, but uh, she's got to go, you know, build the house of cards first. Yeah, so this is a really interesting play that Terezi does. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took me, like, until the end of it to figure out what was going on. Uh, but it was pretty smart. So what happens is, after she messages Doc Scratch, she messages Vriska. And, um... What does she do? She's basically, like... Her, at least her pretense, and I I choose to read it as genuine, is she's, she basically looks to Vriska, give me a reason not to kill you. Like, mm-hmm. give me... Like, show a shred of remorse, give me a reason not to just kill you. And, uh, she, like, doesn't. She's like, you know, I, I, why, what am I, I've already said I, you know, I'm sorry, whatever, like, you want me to feel worse? Like, what do you want from me? And being shitty Vriska. And Terezi's like, alright, well, like, you'll be dead. Like, I don't, I don't even care, this is, this is pointless, like, you'll be dead in a couple of minutes. And Vriska's like no way. Like, you have nothing on me. Like, what are you going to do? Um, and she goes, if you don't believe me, consult your advantage. Um, and Vriska's like, I don't even need to. I, you know, I know that you're not going to do anything. You don't have anything on me. You can't control me. Like, your friends are dead. Like, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Because remember, Teresa doesn't have mind powers. She just is smart at manipulating Right. And so, so she just says, like, oh, if you don't believe me, check your advantage. And Vriska's like, no, 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 no. Um, and Terezi's like, okay, I, you don't believe me, but addiction is a powerful thing. Because remember, Vriska's addicted to smashing eight balls. Right. So. So what, ter- uh, what Vriska does is she consults her advantage, which is a, I think we heard about these before. Um, there's m- magic. Key- yeah, um, she mentioned... When we were meeting Vriska, she mentioned that, oh, like, these magic eight balls aren't as good as the magic cue ball that I wish I had. Uh, and right. what the magic cue ball is, is a, like, a, an opaque white 
uh, Magic 8-Ball that is very specific and very accurate, but you can't see inside. Unless you're Vriska. Unless you're Vriska, because she has this Vision 8-fold, which basically means her, like, her seven eyes on one side, she can focus them X-ray vision-like to look inside the Magic 8-Ball. Right, so, so, sorry, go ahead. No, I just was correcting myself. Oh yeah, the magic, the magic cue ball, and the way that you commented on like the way the visuals are done as she's consulting this eight ball, and it's it's cool. It's kind of claustrophobic. It like it captures yeah. like her field of vision is like already constrained. Like the, the panel's mostly black, and then all you can see is through her eight her eight her, little lenses. Well, her seven little lenses, and they like they start out at pure red, and then they kind of dissolve as she looks through the ball, right? Until it's white, and then you see the. Uh, like the D4 blue triangle surface and it kind of like appears and it's like, so she, what the question that she's asked is, is, it seems through like all the lenses. So like you can only see parts of it. Right. Yeah. And so you have to kind of like squint to make out what it's saying. And, and so what she's just asked it is, um, do I have anything to worry about with this girl or something? Mm-hmm. And uh, expecting to see no, but she's just got to like scratch that itch, and and the die floats up and it says yes. Right. Uh, so meanwhile, Terezi goes back to messaging Scratch and informs him. We don't even see the conversation. All she does is she says like the action tech just says Terezi inform Doc Scratch. Uh, of Riska's little advantage. And the next panel is, like, his face in a close-up, and, like, his body, like, seized up in rage, and there's lightning flashing everywhere. His text is... Yeah, it's is... A very... There should have been, like, an, epil- an epilepsy warning for this panel, I think. There, There's a bunch of panels in this comic that there really should have been one for, but... Yeah. Um, because I, th- I don't think we even mentioned um, the magic cue balls are his, but he's lost them. Right. They've fallen into the holes in his omniscience. Right. Uh, so he's very upset that she has one, and that's how she's been gaining an advantage on him. Right. Uh, his his text is in a pester log, and it, like, flashes black and white and green, and I found that very funny. You, like, click to open it, the pester log, and you think it's going to be a conversation, and it's just him saying, she has what? Yeah, it's very cool. Um, and so, I guess, since this thing is linked to him... Mm-hmm. Uh, his rage causes it to explode. Wait, but no, but, like, the way that they do it is so great, right? So he's flipping out, and then we go back to Vriska, and she's like, how is it going to happen? And she, like, shakes it again, and we watch it slowly fade into view. It says, I will explode in your face. Yeah. And then it explodes. <laughs> it explodes, blows off her arm, and her, uh, seven lens die. Right. Uh, yeah, so that's Vriska's accident. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, like, oh boy. <laughs> it, I don't know, it, it it quite literally blew up in her face. Yeah. So, um, so, so that, that is the cycle of revenge that, uh... It is, and we know that next Vriska's gonna, uh, cause Terezi to go blind, somehow. Yeah, oh god, and the way that she does that is... Oof. Woo! You're gonna... I don't think we see it this week. Have we seen it no, already? No, we haven't, no. Oh. Oh, man. It's very, like, woo, when you oh, see boy. it. Oh, boy. So, um, okay. So, we're gonna go back to the point in time, um... Where we left last week. Right. 
where um, Equis's Arabia bot has just exploded, and Vriska is going down to check out what happened with those explosions, and she finds her Lucis, you know, covered in blood, like mostly crushed to death, and she's like, "All right, I have to, I have to put her out of her misery." Essentially, like there's no saving her, mm-hmm. and so she's she's um, she's got to use her like the, the weapon that she uses is dice, so she's got to roll her dice. But she's saying her luck is extremely bad right now. She's been cursed. And she's worried that she's not going to get something powerful enough to, like, kill her Lucis. Um, mm-hmm. But, but uh, the thing is, it's kind of unlucky that she has to kill her Lucis, so she does a very good job of it. Right, and it's it's kind of left ambiguous. Like, is it because this is already so unfortunate, or is it because she just doesn't care anymore? Right. So, yeah, so she, she kind of just throws them apathetically, mm-hmm. and she's like, maybe, I forget who it was, but maybe, like, a radio was right to, like... Luck doesn't matter, whatever. Right. Um, but it, she, she rolls a guillotine. A giant guillotine, um, which is very effective, uh, covers her in her Lucis's blue blood, and also causes another avalanche. Yeah, it's horrible. Like, this wave of blue blood, like, washes over her. And it's the same color as hers. Um, yeah. Because that's how Lucy work. And, uh, and then it triggers another avalanche. <laughs> as it you does. said. Yeah, so, um, which which should kill her because Equius's house is about to topple onto her directly onto her, but it, it um, zaps into the medium. Yeah, and so Equi- or Equius got into the house, I think, just in time with uh, Arthur uh, prototypes. So now the not house hive they're called hives, Lydia. Okay, sorry. <laughs> but now Equius is in the medium. He's the first on the blue team. Right. Briska's unhappy about this. <laughs> um, why? Unclear. I, basically, it looks like she's lashing out because she's kind of at the end of her rope and because um, it's deprived her of the chance to give the robot to Aradia herself. Right. She believes that this would have um, rekindled their friendship, even though Aradia is not sure they were ever friends in the first place. Um, and Vriska just gets really, really upset, and, like, she's not making any sense. Yeah, so, so, Aradia's basically saying, like, it would have been pointless to let you die. Aradia's dead at this point in the timeline, but, so she's very apathetic, but she's like, it would have been pointless to let you die, and this was, like, the order that events were supposed to transpire, and I need you to go, like, you are off of the blue team. This is the other reason that she gets mad once she's inside of this conversation, is Aradia says, you're not on the blue team anymore. Uh, it just, it's not going to work out that way. And she also seems to either lie or be very out of touch with who she was before she died because, you know, Vriska accuses her of revenge and she, Aradia outright says, I never thought about revenge when literally pages ago, Mm -hmm. um, she was, you know, psychologically terrorizing her, so... Right. But Briska responds with this nonsensical tantrum, and we should read this expert. This expert I think, that you I think have. you should. I think you should do it. Me? Okay. So she just says, fuck you for me trying to help you. Fuck the blue team. Fuck your conniving. Fuck Equius's double dealing and the stupid muscle beast he rode in on. And fuck you for saving my life. And then fuck you with, like, one million U's and O's. Yeah. Exactly so, eight, actually, of each of them. <laughs> of course. Um. So, yeah. Uh, she's... Not happy. She's flipping out, and, like, I, you know, you kind of, 
you feel for her in that moment, because she's just, like, she's just thrashing. I mean, she's kind of been, in this timeline, she's just completely been thrashing the whole time. Yeah, she's been thrashing ever since I met her. Yeah. Um, And we kind of, what we just saw this week was, was how she got to this place, you know, how those machinations started to fall apart on her. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we cut away from her, and and Equius is in the medium, in the land of caves and silence. Yeah, he has a super uncomfortable conversation with Aradia immediately. So, uh, yeah, I don't even want to like talk too much about these two. Yeah, we don't need to go in depth about it. But do you want to do you want to give like like the the one sentence explanation? Yeah, Maybe the just. The gist is that he uh, is super torn between her being red-blooded and him having a huge crush on her. And he keeps, like, waffling on whether he wants her to, like, order him around or not. Uh, And getting, like, pseudo-horny about it again. And, like, in a really uncomfortable way. Um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and and Aradia, it's it's also really uncomfortable because Aradia is completely like she's not terribly put off by it. She's a, she's actually a little concerned because she's just like you look really agitated. Like, do you need help? Um, and um, and he he's like, I just need to smash something. And she's like, Hey, I actually like smashing things too, because uh, she has been smashing temples as a dead person. Mm-hmm. So she uh, smashes a bathtub through as well in that classic Homestuck gag. Right, and and he's like sweaty about it. It's gross. <laughs> um, and then uh, he's like, "All right, you know, I'm gonna bring you your robot right now by going through like my second gate, which he's able to do. He's very strong, so he grabs. He basically grabs the robot and like, like he uh, strong jumps is the verb. Yes, out of the building and kind of just like as he's flying through the air, he punches an ogre's head off. Oh, it's not a statue; it's an ogre. I think so. That makes sense. Yeah, I was like, it doesn't look like any of the other statues that we ever see in this comic. It looks like Kermit the Frog. That's why. Right. Um, so yeah, so he, like, punches his way to his first gate and then, like, leaps, or he, or he leaps up to his first gate, like, punches his way through his second gate and just pops up in Aradia's hive immediately. Yeah. And delivers the robot. And she's like, it's nice. Yeah. And, and she, uh, she hops inside. She, she does. Um... And for panel, she's like, oh, this is, you know, it's nice. Uh, and then she's like, oh, oh my god, what did you do? Yeah, so Equus kind of prompts her. She's like, it feels different. And he goes, do you feel a stirring? Like a, like an emotion that would require a beating heart. And she's just right. like, oh my god, what did you do? And what he did was, he programmed a chip on her heart to have rope, I don't know, biology. To have- yeah. But, uh, so he programmed a chip to, to make her have romantic feelings for him, and yeah. she flips the- he's, he's, he is like, uh, I'll turn it off for you if you can just, like, calm down for one second, and she's, like, flipping out on her. Uh, so, what or she he's does like, is, She's, like, flipping out on him. Yeah. So she, uh, like, smashes her robot arm through her robot chest and pulls out her robot heart. Which is gushing robot blood. Blue robot blood. Right. And she robot smashes it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's looking on in horror because this is his creation. Yeah, and, which and like he wanted, I... and he wanted her to love him. Yeah, this is not how he expected this to play out whatsoever. Yep. Which it's so it's like horrible that he would do this to her, but it's very satisfying to like watch it blow up in his face. Like yeah. she's responding exactly how one might respond if someone did this to you. Yes, uh, but that um, satisfaction is short lived. 
Yeah. Because as she uh, smashes the heart and then goes to smack him up a lot. She smashed the shit out of him in the bed. Screams in his face. <laughs> uh, and then uh, next panel, she uh, smooches him. Big old, like, Sony back arch swoop smooch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hate this. I hate this trope. Like, the people fighting and then they start kissing. So. This aggressive, like, anger is supposed to be, like, an acceptable basis for a relationship. So that's the thing about trolls is, which we're just going to learn about. Um, so there's a little interlude that we're just going to like breeze through, which is basically Nepeta ships all her friends. And she's got, that, mm-hmm. that was the comics that we saw on her wall. Nepeta is, is um, a radius server player. So she's watching this all unfold and she's like, what the hell's going on? I guess I have to update my shipping wall, I guess. Um, right. Aradia and Equius are, she thinks that maybe they're romantically interested in each other. But then, um, so, so, what we're going to come to understand is what's going on in that kiss is Equis has a bunch of romantic feelings for Aradia. Aradia has developed, like, uh, it's called, like, black romance, which is, like, lazy use of color again, but whatever. Um, it's, it, like, it's, it's, a uh... It's hate that loops around into love. Not exactly. It's just hate, but it's a hate-based... It's a it's a hate that involves attraction, passionate hate. Exactly, yeah. It's it's hate that that causes you to like want to. It's it's basically like the desire to confront a person, and like that's mm. that's like a in troll society. Are you surprised? Um, that's like a very primary kind of relationship that people have, and like you you like look for a partner in that context. Like you look for someone to to hate as much as you look for someone to love and. Right, which is too bad, because when she was alive, she was very excited to see Salax, and very, like, smiley. Right, yeah, and I mean, like, as Carcat explains, like, you have you have both kinds of feelings for people, and that's that's not... Like, there is also, like, romantic attraction that does not make you want to fight with people. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, she... So she had, like, she had romantic feelings with Salax, and they were mutual, and they were happy, and they were together, and then she, he was manipulated, he was used as a tool to kill her, and now... This creep is, like, in love with her, and he, she's, like, essentially, like, in love with the idea of, like, beating the shit out of him. Mm. But in Trolls, that also brings on, like, cer- certain types of, like, romantic sexual gestures. It's it's weird. How do we know all this? Carcat is here to explain. Yeah, so, um, now that Vriska is off Team Blue, uh, she was told by Aradia that Carcat would contact her soon. And so he does, and he's um, about to apologize to her to get her on the team. And she's like, are you here to get me on your team? And he's like, yeah, uh, I guess you already knew that, so I don't have to apologize. That's good, because I didn't really mean it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, like, immediately takes it back and, like, apologizes to himself for having ever apologized to her. Right. Which, Vriska is like, okay, can you not talk shit to me? Because I am covered in, my like, my mom's blood, essentially. Right. She also um, talks about the blood very, like, disgustedly. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, inter- which is interesting, because it's the same blue blood that she, uh, prides. Yeah, she's not terribly proud, exactly, of her own blue blood in the same way that Equius is. I oh, think. no, yeah, not, like, not to his extent, but she is, like... She's, yeah, she's interested in, like, how it, like, ties her to, like, these, like, um, you know, old legends of, of, uh, these blue-blooded pirates and whatever. 
And, sure. um, but I mean, like, I, she's kind of disgusted with the fact that, like, she just had to kill her Lucis, and, uh... Yeah. She's soaked in blood, and it's, it's disgusting, and... Yeah, and Carcat's like, oh, you can just, like, you know, pop her in the, in the Colonel's right. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I didn't know that. Right. I don't know if that makes it better. Yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't, she's not really processing those emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Vriska, of all things, is trying to talk to her, to him about, uh, so, so Carcat is telling her, all right, I need you to bring Tavros into the medium right now. Like, you need to save him from meteors sooner rather than later. And she's like, can it be anyone else? And he's like, what do you mean? Like, no, I need you to do it. And, um, she's like, cause I hate that guy. And, uh, Carcat's like, all right, so that's, then he, then he expounds. Right. Uh, basically he says that her, her kind of hate isn't passionate enough because it's mixed with pity. Um, and her hate can't become black romance. Right, she hates, it's not that it's mixed with pity so much as that she hates everyone all the time constantly. Like, she's just, she's just hating on everyone. And, right. And the thing is that, like, that he's like, and I don't like that he says that, like, oh, your brain is broken. Like, Aradia's brain is broken. Like, oh, yeah. I don't, I don't like that language, but, or, or Tavros's brain is broken. It's actually what he said because he's like, okay, so Tavros, I don't think Tavros can hate anyone. Right, um, because, you know, he's like the happy go lucky troll. Right. And then meanwhile, I don't, you know, you, you can't effectively hate anyone because you hate everyone just in this, like, lukewarm way. And then meanwhile, right. you've burned out your ability to, like, feel other feelings at this point. Like, they're so underused. So, like, you're boned. Like, you're not going to find love. Like, um, there's something called more allegiance, which is another kind of, like, relationship that people have, which is I'd kind of left ambiguous. But it's, it's, it's another pity-based emotion. They, they don't have a notion of love, they have a notion of pity. Um, so it's like the right. primary emotion is hate, and then there's pity, which is watered-down hate, and then all <laughs> other emotions are types of pity. <laughs> so she's, uh, he's saying, like, you should have romantic feelings for Tavros, you don't, you don't really hate him, you, I think you should pity him. Whatever, it's this whole thing. We're gonna, we're gonna learn even more about troll romance later. Car- the other thing is that, like, so... Vriska is understandably kind of like, can you, like, are you done? Like, this stuff is armchair psychology. Like, uh, can you not do this to me? Like, uh, what do you even know? And he's he's basing all of it off of the fact that he watches rom-coms. Yeah, and she, yeah, so she's like, did you learn this crap from your awful romance movies? And he's like, they're really intriguing sociologically. And she's like, snore. And he's like, what part of sociologically intriguing do you not understand? <laughs> Which, like, this is, this is Carcat. Like, that's yeah his deal. I guess we've only seen him, like, freak out on people up until now. But, like, he does do things other than just crab. Right. That's, that's good. Right. Um, oh, oh, so then, um, they kind of wrap up that conversation. And then Carcat is like, listen, but I need you. I can't get anyone else to bring Tavros in. I need you to do it because I need to get you in the game. Like, we need to rescue him, and then I need to bring you in next, because, or someone needs to bring you in next, because we need your mind powers, because of this plan that I've hatched, I've met someone, he's a sort of double agent, his name is Jack. Yes. Um, so Jack is here. Jack is here, Jack Noir! Um, and so we see, uh, Jack meeting, um... I was going to say Tavros, Carcat, mm-hmm. in the medium, 
and we get some narration from Jack's perspective, which is really good because it's like extremely noir. Mm-hmm. It's like, you find the kid you've been looking for. He's got a sharp tongue and can't seem to keep it sheathed. He should learn up front that you're no stranger to sharp objects yourself. Right, right. So he's, he's, um, he's, he's been hearing Carcat mouth off for some reason, and uh, he's annoyed with it. They've never met in person before, but he just goes up to him and, like, stabs him. Yep, that's how he says hello. Right, which, Carcat's reaction is not to, this is all told from Jack's perspective, but, but he's, like, really confused, because Carcat's reaction is not to be like, what the fuck, you stabbed me, it's just to be like, don't look at me, like, I need you not to see my blood. Right. Like, it's, it's freakish, please just look away. And we see, we see Jack look at his knife, and it's a black knife, and it's just got normal-looking, like, bright red blood on it. It's right, exactly so it's the like, same color as every, all the blood that we've seen in this comic before, except for trolls. So, yeah, so on the monitor, it's like a pure red, like, RGB red yeah. 255. Um, which is, uh, so what Jack does is he uh, slices open his own palm and shows uh, Carcat that they have the same blood. And Carcat is like, what? What? I don't understand. Because uh, I guess his bright red blood is not a thing for trolls to have. And he's very, I guess, ashamed of it? Or just, like, scared of people finding out? Yeah, I think it's that... So, so... So what it, what it, mean, what it seems to mean to me is that, um, like, red blood is the lowest... And since his red is, like, mixed with nothing else, it's, like, the lowest of the lowest. Lowest, lower than he thought possible. Sort of, like, that's part of it, that it, that it is red of, like, all of the colors for it to be. Like, that it is sort of lower. But the other thing is that um, he is the only, we get this from Jack's narration, he's the only, like, it's a mutation. Like, trolls don't have blood that color. Nobody right. has blood that color. And so it's, um, I think this is only, this is left subtextual, or maybe it's brought up later on, um, but... Like, trolls get culled for all kinds of reasons, like, if they're not strong. Um, so you have to worry about, like, being perceived as weak for any way. Right. And, um, I'm guessing that, like, this mutation could be one of the reasons why they might kill him. Is it's just, like, you break with, you break our social order based on blood color. Um, mm-hmm. so he doesn't want anyone to know. And, and so it's really, yeah. it's, like, extremely moving for him to meet someone where, like, that doesn't matter. Like, yeah. he, does, it doesn't, he doesn't care, they have the same color blood, like, it's it's really huge for him. And yeah. uh, then they, they shake bleeding hands. It's, yeah, which is really unsanitary. It's really unsanitary, but it's like, oh, it's such a cool shot, they're, like, standing on this, Carcat's land is black rocks and bright candy red. Right, the other thing is that um, he felt, like, when he was transported to his land, uh, he felt like he was, like, being punished, or, like mocked by fate for going to a land where essentially like the all the liquid is his colored blood yeah i don't know if it's actually blood but like it's it must have like messed him up a lot yes yeah so this is this is huge for him and like you see it in his expression we get we get like a more detailed rendering of his face and everything mm-hmm. so then then we learn about the, the plot that they've hatched which is called Operation Regisurp. There's a callback to the blah, blah, huge bitch gag. We see the cover of the plan, and it's, you know, uh, Jack's doodle of the Black Queen, and he's, he's done the, the blah, blah, huge bitch mm-hmm. thing. And um, we learn about the, um, the what the plan is that, that Karkat apparently needs Riska to come in for. 
Yeah, so uh, they need all the trolls' uh, skills, apparently. Mm -hmm. And they also need the troll disease called friendship. Yes, yes, we get we get foreshadowed. Like the reg the the narrative informs us that the the trolls will carry out this plan and they will you know become friends and whatever. Right. So what we're doing here is basically jumping into a very like uh, broad perspective uh, objective account. Right. We've sort of gone third person omniscient at this point. Yeah. Um, and so basically, we find out that um, the red the black queen. Uh, oh. God, what is that? It's like a sports car outside. Oh, I can hear it. It's gone. It was very super quiet, though. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the Black Queen um, has a ring with 12 prototypings. And so that means that her body, you know, goes through a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's fine with it all, except for the part where Aradia uh, prototyped with a frog. Because frogs are unacceptable. And the Black Queen just cannot be part frog. She refuses. So what was your what was your read on this? Because they go into great length about how unacceptable a frog is. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Okay. I don't I, I I can't imagine what like the greater ramifications could be. Okay. I just know that like frogs are illegal in the <laughs> Medium. <laughs> Frogs are illegal. Well, frog imagery. Yeah. Um, there's a really good um, reason oh, for no, that. Oh, no, 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 no. What? Weed whacker. I can't hear it. Which means neither can your microphone. Are you, is it just a distracting noise? It's pretty distracting. Okay, let's wait. No, it's gonna be a while. Okay. It's, it's like, it's, it sounds like the faintest breeze. Like, like a curtain swishing a tiny bit. Okay. So, the podcast will be okay. Um, I'm going to read the way that they describe... It's. I don't think they ever even say the word frog. We're just shown an image of it. But the, um, the text that we get is, So vile is its appearance, so contemptible its purpose. All depictions of the creature, let alone members of its population are permanently banned from any jurisdiction in the reach of her agents. Those of its kind go by many names, and so does the reviled patron god they herald. The great detestation, King Pond Squatter, speaker of the vast joke, or most commonly, Bilious Slick. His true name is, of course, forbidden. Right. It's a frog. <laughs> it's a frog. Um, but, like, what's going on here? Um... Remember that the mystic ruins in both the trolls session and the kids session is a frog. Like, what's what's up with so that? Th so there's a frog god. Yeah, basically. Oh. Yeah, and we don't know much more than that, and it's okay. We'll see where this goes. But okay, so she doesn't want to. She refuses to be prototyped into a frog, um, and so she ditches her ring. But she doesn't want anyone to know that she's ditched her ring because it makes her way weaker. So she's like, and also she's like supposed to have the ring on. Right? Uh, yeah, so it's she's sort of she's sort of breaking her own contract, and so you know, subject to repercussions from paradox space, and um, mm. and also you know it's a disadvantage. So she she stashes the ring, and um, and uh, and hides away. But we're basically informed that Jack finds out about this somehow. The kids succeed in ousting her, and she ends up exiled onto future Alternia. 
where uh, we are informed that she finds a new employer who provides her with a new purpose, and Scratch flickers into the panel. Yeah. Um... Oh my god, I'm so upset. I'm sorry. Oh no, I'm sorry. It it is really it's really super quiet from here, but that must be so distracting for you. Yeah, and also it's not the same sound over Skype and through the microphone. Oh, that's true. Hmm. All right, well, guys, we apologize if there's a bunch of noise at this point. We we live in in real dwellings where people make noise. Sorry. Yeah, I'm trying. I'll try to cut out as much as I can. Remember, like, the first time that we recorded, when I think we were both sitting around in, like, blanket forts? <laughs> so, there's that. Um, we've we've yeah. moved beyond blanket fort technology, but, uh, sorry. I mean, I'm kind of surrounded by pillows right now. Oh. I'm surrounded uh, by walls and a window, which I'm amazed doesn't make me sound terrible, but it doesn't, so... <laughs> Anyway, so she meets Doc Scratch. Um, he's about to give her a purpose. Oh, did we ever say his boss's name? We found out his boss's name. Right. I think we forgot to mention, but it's Lord English. It's Lord English, with the O replaced by a tiny flashing gif of a bunch of billiard balls. And that is the demon that uh, wants to enter the world. Mm-hmm. Or that is already here. And remember, it's also the leader or the boss of the felt from uh, way back when. Right. All those guys who died. Right. And so this, like, kind of confirms that Snowball is the Black Queen from their session, which isn't surprising, because she has the same model as the Black Queen. Do you mean Snowman? Snowman. That's it. (laughs) Snowball just makes me think of the cat from, um, I was gonna say... What was the movie? The the mouse. The Stuart Little. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I got that too. (sighs) The, like, Um, mouse with the, like, Long Island accent, yeah. Yeah, so then we get kind of a a weird uh, sequence in which it is very uh, unbelievably revealed to us that the two sessions that the kids have been in was one session all along, and that they will find out eventually that they are not competing but working towards a shared purpose. Uh, The joke, of course, is that we kind of already knew that. Right, it was pretty much implicit from the beginning, but, um, I, and, like, Hussey kind of makes the joke in the narration that, um, you know, if this, if this story had been told, like, long form, if it had unfolded, you know, more chronologically the way that it did with the human kids, this would be really surprising. Right. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it's very... It's just, you know, it's whatever. We're just like, huh. But then, um, it's told... It's told via diagram, which I kind of like the next couple panels. You know, it's like, it shows, it shows the blue, the blue team and the red team, um, sort of how their connection chains of bringing each other into the medium worked with the kids Mm -hmm. are all represented by their astrological sign on like a a planet of the color of their team. Yeah. And then there's, you know, there's arrows pointing the other. And then what we find out is that, um, Ultimately, Carcat is going to bring in Solix, and Carcat's red team, Solix's blue team, and then Equius on the blue team is going to bring in Grim Auxiliatrix, who we still have not met her, we don't know her name. And she's on the red team. And uh, this is pointed out with, like, long-reaching arrows, and then the, on the next panel, <laughs> the words Mobius double reach around flash, mm-hmm. like, two words at a time, and it's like... 
I like it. I like the word Mobius yeah, double was, reach around. It was good. Uh, and then finally, we get like a close up of the of two blue planets with the uh, water signs, mm-hmm. and it's like, what's up with these guys? Do they live underwater or something? As a teaser for the two guys that we still haven't met. Mm-hmm. But we are also informed that we're not going to see them just yet. Right. And that's the end of this week. Yeah. So this was uh, this was a good week. Lots of lots of stuff happened. Lots of stuff. I liked this reading. This was. I I always so as I'm writing the show notes for any given episode, I have to basically sort of skim next week's reading, and I've read the stuff all before anyway, so it's mm-hmm. not a huge deal. But I'm when I was like skimming ahead for this week, as I was like writing the show notes last week, I was like, oh, um, it was really hard to write the condensed summary and everything. So um, yeah, I'm excited. This is where things are like things are picking up. It's fun. Yeah, irons in the fire. Cool. Nice. So yeah, um, do we want to do questions now? Uh, fine, I guess so. Oh, <laughs> okay. Um, well, I mean, you can, you don't have to do all of them if you prefer. I'm, I'm kidding. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, when in doubt, just take everything literally, and then you become an enormous wet blanket, but you offend Lit- people. Literally. What? Literally. God. But, like, actually, I say it okay. a lot, and it's how I function, and it's my name. Yeah, it's all, all three steps. Amazing. Uh, how can people send us questions? If you want to send us a question, you can hit our ask box on Tumblr, where we are. What is our Tumblr URL? Hamsteakpodcast.tumblr.com. Um, anonymous is on. And if you want to ask something that has a spoiler, you can contact me personally. I am Brickchip. B r i c k c h i p. And I'm on Tumblr. I'm also on Twitter. It's the same handle on both. If you want to ask a short question, you can also give us a mention on Twitter, where we are also at Hamsteak Podcast. Um, our first question comes from the shows with the feels and the stuff on Tumblr, which has a very nice cadence to it. Yes, it does. Um, who says, I like your ideas of voices for Terezi and such. I personally think that she would sound more like Peridot than Ruby. Um, I <laughs> don't remember, but I guess that we said that she would sound like Ruby from Steven Universe. Um, and I was wondering what you think the pen pal's voice is like. Hmm. Also, if you guys have a headcanon voice for Equius. Oh, So God. the pen pal meaning Jade's pen pal. Yes. Right? I think so. So, yeah. So I have, I, I, th- I mean, we've talked about it before, um, that I don't really have voices inside my head for people. They just all sound like me. Yeah. Um... So, Lydia, do you have any answer to this? Um, I mean, he sounds like a goofy, but very earnest teen from, you know, upper middle class, 1930s, 1920s, like, Britain. Is what he sounds like to me, because that is precisely the voice in which he is written. Right. Um... I also know I, who he is, though, so yeah, I can't say Yeah, and I just much. also, I also, like, forget everything that he says. It's basically irrelevant. He write, he wrote one letter, and he was just like... Yeah, like, I haven't really been... I haven't, I haven't had the opportunity to think too much about him yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was interesting that you chose to ask us about that, but yeah, that's what, that's what I think. Um, oh, and then, um, Equius? Equius, I almost want to say, um, you know that, like... 
really old uh, computer voice that was basically, it sounded like gasping for air. Um, I don't. I couldn't describe it. I'd have to find it. All right. Well, if we find it, it'll be in the show notes. Yeah. Um, I hear him as just like that kid in high school and like he has a neck beard and, (laughs) and he just like is he's, he, he does the like extreme amounts of vocal fry and like very low, like cramming your voice down into the very rock bottom of your range, but also you're a teenage boy. So it sounds very silly and trying to, like, speaking very authoritatively about everything you say. Yeah. That guy. That's, that's Equius. Well, that is, yeah, that is, that is actually him. That is literally him. Um, made, like, a little bit more ominous because instead of just being, like, a giant nerd who's, like, trying to tell you about video games, he, like, can murder people very easily. (laughs) Yeah. Um, which is kind of, like, what makes him a, I don't know, like, a very sort of interesting and compelling villain or like antagonist character mm-hmm. um but yeah that's how he sounds in my head can you still not hear the sweet whacker nope not at all i'm going insane oh no um <laughs> dromedary on twitter asks Hi. what's your favorite <laughs> what's your favorite way to eat ham slash pig products and how do you like your steak i don't eat meat <laughs> <laughs> um if you don't eat meat, you at home listening, you can skip ahead like a minute. Um, so, do you want? Are you comfortable with me talking about this, Lydia? Yes, I I have like helped my dad make meatballs by hand. I'm like not okay. squeamish. <laughs> okay, um, I like meat or I like, I like steak. Um, usually, super rare. Um, I can't understand why anyone wouldn't. Um, and I like pig products, um, mostly, like, sausages or pork. Um, I'm not too much of a fan of bacon, unless it's, like, really, really good bacon. Most bacon is, like, way too crispy and just feels like you're eating, like, ash. Um, and ham generally is just, like, kind of too thick for me. It's, like, very dense. So I will say that I can remember from when I was a kid, I used to really actually like super burnt bacon, like black bacon. That's so that's so interesting because like that's what so many people like. That's what like what they want when they're like obsessing over bacon. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'll have like a thick piece, very lightly mm-hmm. fried, please. Um, which I don't know. Have, did you ever have Canadian bacon? Um, I think I tried it. It was, like, bad, though. It, like, wasn't good Canadian bacon, so I shouldn't judge. Oh. So, here it's just called back bacon. Okay. And it's basically just, like, thinly sliced ham, like, fried. Right. It's, yeah, it's not really bacon at all. Yeah, I mean, words. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, but I, I like, I like to eat those animals. Right on. Um, <laughs> thanks for listening. That's it. That's all. Oh, that's all. Okay, um, if you want to contact us as individual human beings, um, I'm Bricktip. You can find me on Tumblr or on Twitter. It's the word brick, like you build a house out of, and then the word chip, like what Doritos are. <laughs> Hit me up. This podcast is sponsored by Doritos. 
Um, you can find me on Tumblr at LeafCrunch and on Twitter at CrunchLeaf. You flip them. I still think that's so clever. It was the best I could do. It was. It Well, it finally resolved the, like, the great autumn timb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the debate debacle. Yeah. Um, um, and that's the end. Oh, um, next week... I don't remember which pages we're reading. I don't think anybody cares anymore. We always we're, we're reading about seventy pages an update lately um, because we, of we care. Piece. We care. It's just that we can't uh, guarantee. So it's better to just have it in the show. Oh, we care. Uh, I just mean the post. viewers don't necessarily read just the selections. Oh no, I'm sure ahead. that I'm sure that someone cares. Okay, but well, it's just easier. It's to always put in the in show the notes. Post. Yeah. So. Um. Okay. Uh, How's Pokemon Go? Oh, man. Um, do you not want to talk about it? Like, so I have it. No, I do really want to talk about it. And you can probably cut most of it. Um, my verdict is, like, like the short the short version is, like, fun game. Mostly not for me. I think I would only really want to play it if it was, like, all right, like, me and my friends, we're going to the beach today and we're going to hunt Pokemon. And, like, I would want to do that. That would be fun. 100% agree. Yeah. But, like, I tried... The whole, like, yeah. leave it on all the time and, like, rack up all my steps that way and everything. Yeah. It, like, it just it, ruins the experience of existing in the world for me. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. It's, like, I, I love Pokemon, and I'm not really interested in playing it alone. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's... Like, it's, it's something you make an event out of, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, go out for a couple of hours with some friends. Right. And I would super love to do that. And, like, it's kind of fun... Like, once in a while, like, I went to my, my local park, and I wandered around for an hour, and, like, just yeah. saw what they had there and whatever, but... Yeah. And I also, like, I have, like, talked to some people who were playing, and, like, we struck up conversations about, like, Pokemon, which is really cool and fun. Okay, so that's part of it, is I live, I'm in the suburbs right now, so, like, I have to drive right. between spots where there's, you know, three Pokemon at a time, so yeah. I'm languishing, but I think it'll be a lot more fun when I move to... The college town of Florida. There's more yes. than one college town, but I'm moving to a college town in Florida. So. The the college town of Florida. Yes. Florida is all one college town. God, but can you swamp. imagine? No. Yeah, it would be terrible. Um, thanks for watching. Uh, see you next week. Watching. Yep. Thanks for and staring at your phone at the at the track art for an hour. Thanks for making sure the phone doesn't turn off the screen so that you can see the uh, little thing move all the way across the screen. Thanks, you guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye.